Nicolas. What a welcome relief. From what? Taxes. My accountant says they're inevitable like death. He's an accountant. What does he know? It's a good point. Mm -hmm. So you have that I'm here on business look about you. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of Forever Night episode. Forever Night season two, episode 10, Can't Run, Can't Hide. What do we think this means? Can't run, can't hide. Something from your past mm. will eventually catch up with you. Yeah, you don't think it's literally As Cohen like, says. if a vampire is hunting you, you can't run away and you can't effectively hide. What's more inevitable than being caught by a vampire that's hunting you taxes the consequences of your past oh yeah that too right right but before we get started hi i'm rachel and i'm matt and this is come in 81 kilo a forever night podcast It's going to get old and it'll be a sad day. I'm just going to take it as rote that I have the the power to record that sound. Whenever you want. Whenever I want. So we open on the Toronto skyline. And we hold it for like a really long time. I don't know what we're doing, but we like pan down. And there's this house. And it's a cute little house. And it's surrounded by a giant fence with like a barbed wire top. And a lot of light. It's a compound, a secured compound. One might call it a secured compound. And the question it begs is, this guy is renting this house. And he has only been renting this house for three months. Is, oh, I forgot that detail. Is this what the house looks like? Maybe this is why he rented it. Normally? I mean, I, I got to admit... We have looked at some houses in some pretty um, economically depressed areas, and we have seen things like bars on windows. There was that one notable time where the entire air conditioning unit was surrounded by a cage. Yep. Like an iron bar cage. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And the guy goes, yeah, it's really common to have the copper coils stolen out of your air conditioner. Okay, and I have to say that that was a bit of a um, turnoff. It was a deterrent. Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe this isn't where I want to take my children right now. Right. So I can't say I would roll up on a rental property that had a 12-foot fence with barbed wire and spotlights to light up the front yard and be like, wow, safety is really a priority for this landlord. I'm loving this. This sounds really nice. They've really invested a lot in making sure that this is a safe house to be in. Yeah, there's zero chance my dachshund is getting out of this fence. Perfect. That's exactly where I want to be. 
what? What? Or the alternative is he moved in and he installed all of this stuff in three months. It takes you a month to get somebody to come out to even give you a price for a fence. Well, he, maybe he's a DIYer. Oh, he did all this himself? Did he tell the landlord? Or is the landlord just going to show up and be like, what the actual fuck? Well, after he puts it up, can the landlord get in? <laughs> no, because it's all, even the the delivery guy, the grocery delivery guy can't get in. Right. Yeah. Because uh, that's how we start is this guy's delivering groceries and he has to use the intercom to talk to Mr. Lindley, who is the guy inside. And Mr. Lindley is like, you were supposed to get here before it got dark. Mm. Mm. And the grocery Why? guy's like, sorry, man, like I ran late. I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, fine. And so he lets him in and he brings his groceries in the house. And Lindley's got a gun. Just standing there with a shotgun. And the funniest part about this is this guy is supposed to be American. And so my favorite cut, my favorite is when we see a commentary from another country, like this is Canada, on Americans. As if this guy is the paragon of American paranoia. He's like, yeah, I got my gun. Because the grocery never, guy... I'm never without a gun. Yeah, the grocery guy's like, man, Mr. Lindley, do you have to have your gun when I'm here? And he's like, I'm never without my gun. I'm not even without my gun when I'm sleeping. I've always got my gun. <laughs> um, It's not wrong. Yeah. It's not wrong. But he gives the grocery guy money, and I think this is kind of supposed to be a a humanizing moment. It's supposed to give us a little bit of sympathy for this character. Right, to say, here, take your girlfriend out. Yeah, he's like, mm, here you go. And he gives him some cash. And he's like, take your girlfriend out, do something fun. Now get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> so <laughs> the grocery guy leaves. And he follows him out. Well, and he's like. Well, yeah, he's like, what about Brooks? Yeah. Did you talk to Brooks? Did you get a hold of Brooks? And he's like, well, I called him. And the guy was like, yeah, no, thanks. I don't want to talk to you. And he's like, call him. I could have called him. I want you to go get him. Like, I want you to go see him Arrange in person. a meeting, yeah. Yeah, I, I need to meet with him. And this guy is so sweaty. He has a towel wrapped around his neck. It's a very interesting choice. And this is actually not the first time we've seen this actor. Did you recognize this actor? No. Oh, what's that, Matthew? Something been in the Fox house again? The one where... Oh, that guy. Yeah. The, was it Dying to Know You? The one with the psychic. Mm-hmm. Where Nick's flashback was colonial... I don't even know what it was. It was the the wig, like the straight blonde wig that ended at his shoulders. And his friend, Matthew, uh, saw him flying against the moon. Yes, and, and he was like, like entreating against God, like, yeah, clear these Take foul these visions, visions from, from my me. mind. Yeah. So poor Matthew. Uh, and then poor Mr. Lindley, because in that life and the next, he runs into Nick and it ends up being the catalyst for his demise well he never meets nick yeah he does they meet him when they stop him at the red cross check like they stop him and they're like who are you oh oh, okay red cross yeah Yeah. but he didn't meet nick knight careful honey no but he met nick parker yeah i just went to go drink i think you had it sideways or something no i just tipped it before it got to my mouth so instead of (laughs) drinking i just poured it down the front of my shirt (laughs) 
It's fine. It's fine. Task failed successfully the second time. All right. So he's outside. The grocery guy's driving off. He's getting ready to turn to go back in, and he looks up, and he's like, <laughs> but up. <laughs> just go straight to the intro. That's our murder scene. We used to play um, Mech Warrior a lot. And one of the like movements, one of the things that you can do is death from above. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, God, being death in the from air. above. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, tabletop Mech Warrior. Right. Video game Mech yeah, Warrior. Yeah, not video game Mech Warrior. My God. No, we're extra nerdy, like just pushing the nerd boat out. So we go after the intro, we come back, and now this is a crime scene, and everybody's swarming the scene, and Natalie's like, yeah, um, he was killed with his own knife, because Skanky says, uh, what was this, amateur night? They left, they left evidence everywhere, there's the knife he got killed with is right there, it's the same one that was like the sheath on his hip, so they clearly killed him with his own knife, like, this is everything we need is right here. And Natalie goes, oh, well, what does Nick think about this? Or what does your partner think about this? And Skanky goes, I don't know. Well, he'll tell us more downtown. Man, oh, man, this is amateur night. Beg your pardon. Not you, Natalie. The perp. He left everything but his business card. You might notice that this fits neatly into the empty sheath on the victim's hip. So he was killed with his own knife. The question is why. Someone who's after money and guns takes money and guns, right? Right. Well, this guy was armed to the teeth. He didn't even get a shot off. I mean, whoever whacked them, they hit them quick and they hit them hard. Well, I'll go check it for Prince. And uh, by the way, what does your partner think of all this? I don't know. He's still meditating. Ah. Meditating. meditating. And he does air quotes, meditating. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to Nick, because Nick's inside the house. and He's just staring at this symbol that's drawn on the wall in Sharpie. And... Natalie refers to it as a carving later, but this right. is literally just somebody with a magic marker just drew this up on there. And he kind of turned Nick Skanky walks in to talk to Nick. And as soon as Skanky starts talking, Nick turns slightly away from Nick and or God, just turns slightly away from Skanky and then just right into a flashback. Yep. Yeah. Meditating. Meditating. Because he remembers that symbol. He remembers driving a Jeep in Vietnam because it turns out Nick was in Vietnam and he saw that symbol carved on a tree that had been felled over the road. And he's like, Bin Lock. And Skanky goes, Bin, what? You know what? Actually, never mind. It's show and tell time. And so they go into the other room and the whole bed is covered in guns. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we've continued our American commentary. It's fine. He stopped at Walmart on his way across the border, okay? He just stocked up. You think I'm fucking kidding, and I'm not. He could have just gone to Walmart and bought everything on that bed. And he finds out he's looking for Casey Brooks because he has a large, clearly identifiable, handily printed in block script note that yeah, says, they... I am looking for Casey Brooks on it. And right there, stuck on the phone book. And he met uh, Skanky is caught up. Uh, Skanky's hung up on the fact that somebody killed this guy, but then didn't take anything. And this guy had a lot of stuff to take. Yeah, guns and stuff. He had a lot of guns. And, you know, if on the street, you could sell this and make some money. Yeah. And so they took down all the numbers, all the serial numbers. 
and checked for registrations. In Canada, you can check for this really fast because they oh. have electronic gun registrations. Oh. But in the U.S., it's illegal. It's state to state. Mm-mm, federal. Oh, it Federally, is? it's illegal to maintain an electronic database <laughs> of gun registrations. So there's one location that keeps paper copies of all the gun registrations in the country, and they have to go look up the physical paper when you like when the police are trying to look up a gun registration and it's been kind of deliberately designed by regulation to be that way to be obfuscated yeah yeah so it, it's understandable that they can confirm very quickly that none of these guns serial numbers are registered in Canada but they had to make a lot of calls to the U.S. So, and they might find out in three to five business days. <laughs> well, they're like, yeah, he's Americano. That's what Skanky says. And they know that they just, they're a delivery boy just delivered groceries. And then we cut to the precinct and they're talking to Kyle, the delivery boy. And Nick is in a vest. Um, it's a little different from his usual vest. We've gone like low cut vest. So it's got more of a sweeping neckline, one might say. And the poor delivery boy is like, yeah, dude was weird. I don't know. He wasn't, he was harmless. He was just like super aggressive. I don't know what to tell you. And, you know, he wanted me to look for this Casey Brooks guy. I did. Casey Brooks said he'd never heard of him. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not in this. Do you guys think I'm in this? I'm not in this. I'm not involved. I'm in not, this. In, I'm not like involved or anything. I'm literally the messenger. Yeah, I'm literally the messenger. And so Nick and Skanky are both like, yeah, this is a dead end. Um, he's not big enough to have taken Lindley on like that. That's an assumption. That's a big assumption. I mean, but that's fine. Uh, it's 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 par for the course, really. Yeah. Because they're like, all right, well, we got to go talk to Casey Brooks. So they're headed out and Cohen pops her head out and Skanky's like, oh, hey, Cohen, we're about to go talk to Casey Brooks. And this is when we get our Cohen info dump of the episode. Because she's like, Casey Brooks is a parole officer who works for the Crown, and he is well-loved. I assume you know he has a night seminar that he runs twice a week at this gym. If you arrive between the hours of 8 and 10, you are likely to find him there. Hey. Ding, ding. Oh, thank you, Cohen. So it gives us a lot of context about yeah. his position in the city and yeah. his reputation and all that. Right. I mean... Really unprompted. She could have just gone, yeah, be careful. Everybody fucking loves that dude. She yeah. didn't need to do any of the rest, but she's like, be advised. He is well-known and well-loved. And yeah. if you go after him, you better have a pretty rock-solid case. Right. I feel like you could have introduced that information more organically by, yeah. like, on the drive over, Skanky being like, looking through a sheaf of papers. Oh, wow. This guy got a commendation from the mayor yes. for, like improving the like, usual the youth, way we do whatever. this stuff yeah yeah where skanky has actually done research and he's catching nick up while nick is staring off into the middle distance yeah. remembering a time long past yeah we could have done that oh but we didn't cohen just popped out and was like i guess cohen had to do they needed, something cohen hadn't really been in it they needed to give her a couple of lines i mean they just don't give her the treatment they gave stone tree right they just don't she exists in her office and in like the 10 foot radius around her office door 
And that's the only place that she exists. If you go beyond that, you can't see her. But once you're inside that radius, she could pop out any time and give you exposition. Kids. What? I said he works with kids. You know, Nick, sometimes I get the feeling that you're not listening. At all. To me. But poor Skanky is trying to talk to Nick. But he's like, Nick, are you are you even listening sometimes to me? Sometimes I feel like you are just never listening Right, because he's to trying me. to talk to him. And Nick literally looks slightly away from him and we're immediately back into a flashback. And this is when we find out that he was like a Red Cross medic. And he went to this village and he was inoculating the kids and giving them a health check and whatever. Being a Red Cross being a Red Cross person, a volunteer, mm-hmm. or whatever he was. And then we come back, and we're in this gym. And this gym scene just reminds me, do you remember those, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, public service announcements? And sometimes they'd have them at the end of, like, G.I. Joe, where we'd have the credits, and then we'd have, like, the G.I. Joe characters interact with some kids and give mm-hmm. them, like, a valuable lesson on being a good citizen. Yes. Or we'd have the, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. You know, they were, like, these little five-minute-long five, five minute long snippets where you would have, like, someone was imparting the good news. Oh, sometimes you'd have them at the end of um, Captain Planet, too, where yep. they'd be like, here's how you can help the environment. Right. That's what this reminds me of, because this guy. So we go to this gym and there's these two characters. <laughs> Did you ever watch Seventh Heaven? A little bit. OK, so there's an episode. <laughs> there's an episode where one of the characters is dating this girl and she's in a gang and she is the love interest from Roswell. Like the first Roswell okay. were there, the teens. Yeah. And so she's super. And she's in a gang. Super white, super like long blonde hair, very Seventh Heaven era white girl. Okay. But she's in a gang. And you know she's in a gang because I think she's wearing a studded belt and her hat is backwards. <laughs> so she's punk? <laughs> I'm trying to make it through this. Okay. And later they like pull back. Her mattress and there's gang paraphernalia, but it's like handcuffs and whips and just like the most off the wall, non-gang related shit. And this is what this reminds me of because these are supposed to be like delinquent children. These are supposed to be delinquent minors, but you know they're delinquent minors because they're wearing like jeans with holes in them. And multiple layers of shirts. And I think one of them has on a hat backwards. And they're like, man, Casey's late. I don't have to stay if he's going to be late. (laughs) So the girl's like, you know he gets mad at us if we leave. We need to be here. And then Casey repels down from the ceiling. So Casey repels down from the ceiling because he was waiting to see who was going to try to leave first so he could impart the moral of the story thing. No, but he was just above the top of the basketball hoop. They were already looking up to the clock by the ceiling. That is not And he would have been like in their line of sight looking at the clock. (laughs) He is 
not that high. He's literally like 15 feet off the ground and he's been there since they arrived because it's not like he could have gotten there, gotten repelled up to the ceiling without them noticing, which means he's just been hanging like 15 feet off the ground. They had to walk the full length of the gym to get to where they were sitting. There is no way they missed this man. They were all looking at their phones the while they were walking across There's the gym. No phones. <laughs> and they're all like, "Man, oh, that's Casey's right. late." And so he he like drops the rope and then rappels down and he's like, "I wasn't late. I've been watching you this whole time." And they're like, "Oh, man, Casey. You got us. You got us." And he's like, "I was just hanging out up there not for my health, but so I could see who was going to try to leave." And he's like, "And I saw you. I know who tried to leave." And they're all like, "Oh, man, Casey, I get it. You're trying to tell us that when we're out on the street, trouble can drop on us at any time. And we got to be prepared." <laughs> And he's like, that's right, kids. Okay, given the very shallow content of the message, Casey does a good job delivering it with a straight face. I'll give him credit for that. I couldn't clearly, because I can barely make it through the <laughs> But they're just like, you're right, Case. You know what you're talking about. We're going to mend our ways. And he's like, that's right. And you wait for him to give like a thumbs up to the camera. Like, that's right. how you talk to teenagers. <laughs> but then the police arrive. The police arrive. And he's like, this better not be about any of you. And they're all like, man, Casey, it wouldn't be about us. We've got you as our great role model. And he's like, that's right. <laughs> he goes over and talks to the police. And after that weird interlude, which I think it's just supposed to establish that, like, he's a cool dude. He and can, he's trying really hard yeah, to improve these kids' lives. He can relate to the youths. <laughs> he can talk to the children in a way they understand. <laughs> and even Nick is like, that was a, it's some nice repel gear. Where'd you pick it up? And he's like, oh, here and there. Along the way. Along the way. And they hand him this photo, which is clearly a crime scene photo. And they're like, sorry, we don't have another photo. But do you know this guy? And Casey clearly knows this man. He's like, nope, I don't know that guy at all. I just, I just don't like to see that much I just, blood. I just don't like to see that much blood. Nick's like, heard, got you. And <laughs> he hands them back the photograph. And he's like, listen, I don't know. I talk to a lot of crazy people every day. And I really didn't need to add one more, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to go back over there and talk to those kids because I've got them primed. We're about to go talk about drugs. I'm going to crack an egg in a pan. It's going to be some fucking wild shit going on. (laughs) 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 And so he goes to leave and Skanky's like, he knows we know he's full of shit, right? And Nick's like, yeah, but we got his prints on the photograph. So who cares? It's fine. We're going to go run these. Mission successful. He's like, I bet these match the prints on the knife. And if they do, I owe you breakfast. And Skanky's like, wow, that's one for the record books. But poor Casey wraps up his twice weekly night seminar where he sets these kids on the right path. And he goes into what looks like a dance studio. He's like locking up whatever community center he's in. And yeah, there's a he's in a room. Yeah, it's like a ballet room. There's a. He grabs the rail, and there's a mirror in front of him. Right, because he has a PTSD flashback. And we find out he was also in Vietnam. Hmm. 
How and about that? And some shit went down. We don't have context for it yet, but we know he's definitely related. And we go back and talk to, to Natalie because Natalie has continued her autopsy on Lindley. And she's like, yeah, he had buckshot in his butt. And he has a lot of old wounds. Yeah, hmm. suggestive of buckshot or whatever. And she's like, yeah, you know, his uh, his neck wound is long and jagged. And Skanky's like, what does that mean? Uh, she says, because that means the skin was taut when the wound was inflicted. And Nick's like, it means he was looking up. <laughs> <laughs> and Skanky's like, well, you could repel out of a tree. So he was killed with his own knife. <laughs> But he was still looking up when the killer sliced him with the knife. Maybe he did like a land, grab the knife, fly back up, <laughs> and then slashed his throat. It was kind of like a a, a bounce, you know? You like Or he actually had his own knife, but then he just used Lindley's knife to do more stuff and then put it back. No, because like, well, I don't even know. You know what? I, we're not going to know. It's fine. It's fine. But we find out Lindley had that same tattoo that was on the wall. This is where Natalie calls it a carving. And Nick is again like, Ben Locke. <laughs> what, 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 Nick? Huh? He's like, nothing. What? Nothing. I forgot to lock the car. <laughs> but he does. He goes, slips back into a flashback. And these flashbacks feel like, what was the episode where he was, oh, was it, um, false witness where it just kept derailing him and everybody kept asking him to come back because he, his flashbacks were so intense. He was literally drifting off visibly. Yeah. That's what this feels like again. Cause he gets, he gets pulled back into another flashback and this is the one where he meets Casey, AKA Lieutenant Drake in the past, in the past, because he as a red cross volunteer is driving his little Jeep and he gets stopped by a small group of soldiers. And they search his car. They're not particularly nice. He tells them his name is Nick Parker. He was just up the road at the they're village. They're skeptical. Yeah, and they're like, we heard there's a contingent of VC up there. Do you see any VC? He was like, I saw some sick kids. I don't know what you're talking about. He was like, it seemed clean to me. And Lieutenant Drake's like, what the fuck you know? I mean, fair. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nick's like, oh, you know, I would have smelled the gunpowder. Um, I'm like really highly attuned to that shit, but... Um, Nick is headed off to go find some place dark and shady for the day. And they are apparently headed to the village to figure out what's going on. And Lieutenant Drake tells them they're the cleanup crew. Because they clean up the VC. Yeah. And then when we come back to the present, Nick has like folded forward over Lindley's feet. Because he's like leaning forward. Natalie comes over and tilts her head down to be able to look at him. And she's like, Nick, Nick, you good? Yeah, cool, Nick. And Nick's like, yep. Yep, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then we cut back to Casey because Casey has to have his flashback. We've got two flashbacks going on here. We've got Casey's sort of PTSD flashback where we're getting his point of view. And then we have Nick's point of view flashbacks. And in this one, we remember when they went and started cleaning the village. Quote, unquote, cleaning right. the village. Phase one. Of cleaning the village. Yeah, and I was thinking while we were watching this, is this the kind of plotline we could have in an episode now on television? Like watching soldiers kill innocent people? 
in a village during an actual war. Not a fantasy setting, but like Vietnam happened. Mm. I don't think it would be like. I mean, we had like Band of Brothers. Overly. uh, It wouldn't be like offensive, I think, to include this kind of plot line in a modern show. I mean, we had Band of Brothers. We still get like Hacksaw Ridge and some other more like war movies. I guess I think maybe just because thematically this isn't something we we talk about ever really on this show. It feels mm-hmm. very like, wow, we went hard with this because we're burning. I mean, we're shooting women and yeah, children. War crimes. Yeah, we're burning down houses. Um, we shoot that guy that played on Earth Final Conflict. <laughs> He's a Filipino Canadian, but we will refer to him as Vietnamese because that's what he plays in this episode. And I knew when the first time I watched this, I'd already watched Earth Final Conflict. And so I was like, oh, that guy. And so I was not surprised when he pops back up. He's too important of a character to just get killed off. I know that actor. Oh, he's going to be significant. Then we come back to the present because they're trying to get the fingerprints run. So they have a reason to go arrest Casey because they've tipped Casey off. And Nick has every reason to suspect that Casey is now going to try to flee. Try to run away before he can get right. arrested. And Nick is Nick knows. Yeah, for Nick's sure. Like, I've seen this guy. I know this guy is related to Lindley. I have a feeling he probably killed him. But when Skanky asks, how do you like where is this information coming from that Casey's actually involved in this? Yeah. And he really should have said intuition skanky. <laughs> three words skanky intuition he's but like no, he experience says... <laughs> I, I felt it in my vest <laughs> i can feel it in in my jellies yeah in my jellies no it was in his vest obviously his vest was tingling and he knew that there was some shit up um also he remembers drake yeah. So, but poor Skanky gets dragged along again because the computers are down. He's like, sorry, it's going to take till like the 29th century to get the computers working again. So I guess we're out of luck. And Nick's like, nope, we're going to go arrest Casey right now. And Skanky's like, what? I'm sorry, what? And he's like, come on, Skanky, get in the car. He's running away right now. we got to get him before <laughs> he Cohen, gets away. Cohen pops out and he's like, she's like, where are you guys going? What's up? And Nick literally says, sorry, Captain, we got a siren call. And he just runs out and Skanky's like, I don't know. I think we're, <laughs> we're going to go arrest casey brooks and she's like do you have anything on casey brooks and he's like i don't know that either and they just <laughs> run out the door i know what he's capable of well we won't get the fingerprint results until the computers come back up which will be sometime in the 29th century so you won't buy me breakfast you will buy me lunch which will be a much anticipated historic event we can't wait that long let's go 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 where? Another hour and Brooks will be across the border. Yeah, but we can't even put him at the scene of the crime. We have to arrest him. Yeah, we can't prove anything, Nick. Skank, trust me. Night. Skanky. Sorry, Captain, we're on a siren. Skanky, where's he going? Uh, we're gonna pick up Casey Brooks. The prince come back? Uh, no, there was a delay. Uh, Nick, that doesn't feel we can wait. Can you make a case? I have no idea. Nick, wait. Poor Skanky. <laughs> Poor Skanky. I mean, Skanky, wa- I think Skanky wants to follow procedure. He wants to be a good cop. He's always the one who's actually writing these things up how does he write this up right and there's probably enough justification for them to say let's go to casey's house and we'll knock on the door and see what he says yeah 
And so Skanky's like, he's going to be wearing his pajamas. We're, we're yeah, just gonna he's going to be watching the late night show, watch, like wearing his pajamas. We're just going to walk in on this dude doing fuck all. And Nick's like, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Nah, Skanky. he's he's a flight risk. Yeah, he's a flight risk. We got we got to go. And I have to imagine Skanky is having forward into the past flashbacks. When Nick went rogue and did things like called him from an alley and told him there was a guy in his trunk. Could he come and get him? And then left his car, but somehow arrived at a crime scene right. 45 minutes away. And you know, <laughs> poor Skanky is just like, I could fight this, but it's like fighting gravity. The best I can do is just back my friend up. I'm just going to go. It's fine. I really hope my benevolent supernatural creature that is also my partner um, stays good today. Let's just hope we stay good today. I think that's the best Genki can hope for because um, they arrive there. Or as they're driving, really, Skanky is like, if you don't mind me asking, why are we doing this? And that's the one where he's like, experience. That's why we're doing this. And he immediately goes into a flashback because we have to remember why he's doing this. Right. And so his last flashback, he was, he interacted with Brooks and yeah. the cleanup crew. And he said he's going over to Hill, whatever. And Brooks is like, whatever. And he's like, you're, you're not, not going to make, make it. it. Yeah, so he so. he dips into this firebase as sun's already up, and he's like, ugh. <laughs> and then he gets in, and he's like, which one of you did it? <laughs> which one of you fed on the children? And he, Uh-oh, like. Uh-oh, there's like a den of vampires. I know, there's like a nest of vampires here, and LaCroix turns around dramatically, and he's like, oh, Nicholas, so glad you joined us. I want to know. Does LaCroix purposefully stand with his back to the door at all times so that at any moment, he well, can dramatically turn around. He can around. sense Nicholas, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he he would be like, "Oh, Nicholas is coming in." All right, I'm, okay. guys, guys, I gotta, I gotta settle set down. The stage. You ready? I'm gonna, okay, everybody, okay. be chill. This is gonna be good. Y'all ready? And then he waits with his back to the door so he can do the like turn, slow around. turn around, slow oh, reveal. Nicholas, hi. Did you know I was here? <laughs> of course I'm here. I follow Carnage. Didn't you say that? There's an episode where they're at the. Oh, it's um, the one where she takes a videotape of him. Yes. Yeah, and with the with the enforcers. Yes, and yeah. the guy in the past had took a f- photograph. Of right, and that's the one an where angel. he tells he tells Lacroix like, "Of course you're going to be here. You follow Carnage like like a vulture." Yeah, and Lacroix's like, "What can I say? I'm a sucker for free food." Like, yeah, of course I'm here. And so here he is again at Vietnam proving Nicholas correct. And so Nick's really upset at the vampires. Yeah, he thinks because, somebody's been feeding on them. Well, I think he when he was doing the inoculations and health exam stuff, he noticed like, "Oh, vampires have been drinking from these kids." Yeah. What the actual fuck? Yeah, what the actual fuck, LaCroix? And LaCroix's like, look, I'm entirely without fault in this matter. (laughs) (laughs) Right? In this one, this that specific accusation, that's not on me. And Nick does not believe him. He's like, is there no limit to your greed? And then they hear gunshots and LaCroix's like, well, looks like somebody's settling our debate for us. Whoopsies. 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 Well, I, I like his line about, that's why I prefer to take a drop from many rather than a big... A large swallow. A large swallow from one. Yeah. And Nick's like, oh, how altruistic of you. 
Which I don't think we had settled before, like whether they can actually drink just a little from somebody. One time we mentioned it and Nick said he wouldn't be living unless you call being a zombie living. Right. Yes. 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 So we haven't clearly defined in the mythology what happens when a vampire drinks from somebody but leaves them, like, just takes a sip yeah. and leaves them alive at the end. Because if they die during the drinking, they they turn. Right. Unless you drain them completely. Right. In season one. Right. So <laughs> yes. this is yet another retcon on the yeah. mythology. Unless, unless they are draining the blood from the body into a container and then drinking that. Look, this didn't come out. The first season of Forever Night came out on DVD when I was in high school because I went to Media Play and bought it for like $85. It was expensive. And that was just the first season. And that would have been a full 10 years after it was initially released. Yeah. So you didn't get to rewatch these unless they played in syndication. Or unless you had a photographic memory. Which I didn't realize this, but um, I Love Lucy was the first television show to play reruns. Oh, right, because they were all performed live. They performed them and live. Broadcast. And They weren't recorded right. and played. And they, when they broadcast them, like if you filmed it in California and you broadcast it in New York, you broadcast it at a far lower quality. Right. So, so when Lucy and Desi Arnaz started their film company, they didn't want to do that. So what they would do is film, film it live. Right. And, and then, then they, they would, would ship, ship the, the film. film. And because they had a film of it, when Lucille Ball got pregnant and had the baby and went on like maternity leave, rather than have a gap in programming, they just played old episodes. Innovation. Innovation. But back in Forever Night land, they arrive at Casey Brooks's house and Casey's walking out the door with his duffel bag, which luckily he shoves his duffel bag out the door first and then looks out and then they're like, he's on the run. And he's like, oh, shit, because if he'd gone head first, he could have just dropped the duffel bag and been like, oh, hey, guys, what do you what are y'all doing here? But he shuts the door and somehow immediately cuts power to the entire house. He's prepared. It's some fast shit. And Nick says the code word. He goes, Skanky, I'm going to go around. And Skanky's <laughs> around like, back. Ooh, thank God. Okay. Ooh. And so he goes in the house. Kicks from in the around. Door. Yeah. And we see night vision, which we haven't seen in a while. Oh, yeah. And gone is the red circle. Now there's just like heat vision on everything. So I think what they were doing here is. Uh, I think it's called like chroma key or whatever, like green screen. Yeah. You can do it with any color. It's just they pick a shade of green that is unlikely to be in the film. And I think here they're just doing chroma key on like the darkest black in the scene and replacing it with red. Red. And so that's why you have like these grainy edges on the red splotches. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of we just did RoboCop and there's a scene in RoboCop where he uses heat vision. Yeah. And they could not afford a heat vision camera, <laughs> so they just painted the actors with photoreactive yes. paint. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Rather than <laughs> so they're they're so literally they're in body paint. Yeah, they're naked yeah. in body paint. That's how they did the heat vision. <laughs> They should have just done that for this. All right. Anyway, sorry. Um, so Skanky is sneaking through the house and he ends up getting tackled by Casey. And Nick is like, Skanky, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, go. Just go get him. And so Nick runs out to this balcony and we see him drop off the balcony and then whoop, pop up. In Immediately front of... pop up. So two things. Two things. If this is Nick performing this as a vampire. So let's keep this in character for a second. He literally jumps off. And then swooshes horizontally along the ground. Yeah, pulls like a Miyazaki and just flies like two inches off the ground and then pops up in front of him. Yeah. And I, I like in spirited away when yeah. they do the flying along the ground. Um, alternatively, this is a stunt double jumping off the balcony, which means that Gare is crouched right in front of Casey and has to like pop up. Yeah. <laughs> Because they didn't want to do like a blur effect or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a cool scene. It, it works. It's cool. It, it works. I like it better than him flying off the balcony and tackling yeah. Casey. Like, um, it's, it's just like the scene where, I think it's in this episode, right? Where he, he does something similar. Um, he just pops up. Oh, yeah. Later at the airplane. At the airport. No, the, before beforehand uh it's when he goes to see Jeanette oh and he just pops in from the side yeah that sounds about right all right so right after he does the swoop down stand up he tears his sleeve which it's a good thing it was that sleeve and he didn't have to like he tears Brooke sleeves yes he tears Casey Brooks's sleeve in order to find the tattoo and he's really lucky it's on his upper arm where he tears it and not on the other arm, on the lower arm, on his back, right. his shoulder. It's a really good guess. Let's put it that way. I guess maybe because that's where it was on Lindley. Yeah. And that's where you would put like your your patch on your uniform. Yeah. And so it's kind of the cleanup crew is who I am as it's, a person. Yeah, that's not just yeah. in my uniform. Right. So they go back to the precinct and they've somehow figured out that all of his identity paperwork is fake. Fake passport, fake credit history, fake everything. Uh, except that picture, the picture of everyone in his unit. And they blew up the insignia on the badge and they talked to the Pentagon. Already? Wow. Already. And so got an immediate response from the Pentagon about how... He was in this specific crew that was accused of murdering a bunch of innocent people in this village in Vietnam, and he was uh, court-martialed, and all of his men testified against him. And Nick's like, that kind of sounds like motive, because everyone who was in Bin Lock is dead, except you. You're the last surviving member of the cleanup crew. Isn't that weird? And all of the men that testified against you have been getting killed off. Yeah. Pretty regularly. Like, yeah, they have. And it's a fucking tragedy. And I don't know who's doing it because it's not me. He says, you know, four died in country. And then uh, the rest of them have been dying ever since then. And I have been on the run since 1983. No one who knows me, none of my family or friends have heard from me since 1983. Which would be 11 years ago. Right. 
because we got together the fun, the remaining members of the cleanup crew got together and we were like, who, who the fuck is doing this? And we literally couldn't figure it out. So I just dipped. And then he says the code words that gets Nick immediately on his side. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. up he, until this he, point, Nick this is, is where like, he soul bonds with Nick. Yeah. Because up until this point, Nick is like, you're a bad man. You did bad things. You're a bad dude. And you're, and you're going to pay for, for it. I'm going to punish you for it. And then he's like, listen, I've been trying to make up for what I've done. I did bad things, but I'm trying to be a good person now. Doesn't that make a difference? And Nick is like, it does. It really does. <laughs> You're and right. And so Casey, Lieutenant Drake, is really you know, an allegory for Nick. As usual. As usual. Nick's journey for redemption. Yeah. And this reminded me of a line. So I'm going to quote the dragon... Parthernax from Skyrim. Okay. He says, what is better, to be born good or to overcome your evil nature through great effort? <laughs> um, both? I don't, know. I don't know. I'm not a dragon. I can't weigh in on this. Right. What, what is the higher morality? Yeah. Which one is the, which one is the greater struggle? Yeah. Like, I get that. That's an yeah. interesting question to ask. And that's kind of what this whole television series in its <laughs> 90s way is trying to ask yeah. is can you overcome past deeds can you pay a debt is a life a debt that can be repaid i don't know and we don't find that out in this episode either because they leave because they're like okay we got some shit to follow up on casey's not giving us anything more and cohen pops out into her little zone of influence and she's like What's going on? What What is actually happening? And Skanky's like, I don't know. I have really no idea. And she goes, G get this case organized. By I the end of your shift. I shouldn't have to ask you what the fuck is happening. I should just be able to know what is happening. So I need it organized. I need it organized by the end of your shift. And Nick pops out and he's like, yeah, that's great, Skanky. You did that. I'm going to go talk to my source. And Skanky's like, a source? What source? And Nick goes, yeah, you don't. You don't even want to know. know. I think we've got enough. Right. I'll talk to the Crown. Let me know what they say. Where are you going? I've got a source I think can help us. What source? Who? You don't want to know. And then we go back into another flashback, and it's Nick arriving at the... Arriving at the village. At night. At night. After the sun has set and the massacre is long over and there's just smoke and dead bodies everywhere. And the children that he spent the day or the last night, I suppose, inoculating are now all gone. And LaCroix pops up. And what the actual fuck is LaCroix wearing? <laughs> <laughs> what is he wearing? Is this a military uniform of which I am unfamiliar? That's highly likely. But it was literally like they didn't have time to put anything at the end of his sleeves. They sewed up this shirt. They were going to have it rolled up. And look, Nigel Bennett was like, no, no, I do not show my forearms. No, thank you. And so they had to unroll it. But there's no button. There's no cuff. There's nothing. It is just like a like the bell-bottom version of a sleeve on this military uniform. It's so long, he's literally holding the end of the sleeve to keep it from flapping around. And then his 
his pants are approximately two inches below his nipples. They're like <laughs> way up there. And then he has this beret on. You know what would have been? He had been wearing the same thing Nick was wearing. Like an opened green fatigue shirt, with like a dirty white undershirt and some like right, just the pants. like work clothes. Yeah. Like, like these are the clothes that I wear that don't have my name on them. You know, it's not my like uniform jacket. Yeah. It doesn't have insignia or whatever. It's just the plain green uh, like the scrubs of war. Yeah. And that would have been a lot more convincing. It would have. It would not have been as distracting because we're trying to have a philosophical conversation and all I'm thinking is why a beret? Is a beret? Like, is he fighting for the French? What is happening here? Because Lacroix is like, oh, oh, that's war. And Nick goes, C'est la guerre. C'est la guerre. And Nick is like, this isn't a war. This is a crime. (laughs) (laughs) Lacroix is like, As dramatically as possible. Yeah, and Nick's like, or Lacroix goes, meh, you know, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. Or at least I think that's how the saying goes. And Nick shames him. He's like, how can you not fucking care at all about all of this stuff that's happening? These people are victims. They got killed unfairly. And Lacroix is like, you're right, Nick. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Or are you just bluffing, Nick? Yeah. Or are you just going to kick up a fuss and then run off? What are you going to do? And we leave it at that. Believe it at that. Because then he goes to the Raven and Jeanette is doing her taxes. So we we pan into the Raven. We kind of pull back and we start to see a table on the left. And then Jeanette is at the table. And then she's on this raised platform where there's stairs that go down to like the main area of the Raven. And we can see the front door from where we are. And it's like, okay, Nick's going to come in, like come up the stairs and sit down with Jeanette, but no, he comes immediately stage right. Boop. Pop. Yeah. Like where did he come in the back door? <laughs> no, he came in the front door and then he he, he did he <laughs> the pulled same the same move. Sh- move across the dance floor and then pop up. The same move that he just did yeah. with yeah. Brooks. He's, he's getting yeah. his practice in. But this is such a sweet little scene. We haven't yeah. had a fun just little. Yeah, there's a nice casual chemistry here. Yeah. Reminiscent we, we of season one. We kind of left the fuck me energy in season one. Yeah. And this was a little bit of like a, hey guys, we haven't forgotten they were together. We maybe moved to another network where we can't do as much of the the heavy Yeah, it was probably like a producer. Yeah. Like... But she's like, I'm doing my taxes. My accountant says they're inevitable, like death. But he's an accountant. What does he know? And they have a sweet moment. He's like, did, you know, anybody from overseas come? She's like, I don't know. There's always rumors. Who knows? And he says, did LaCroix ever mention his time in Vietnam? And she goes, well, he did say he liked the place better under the French. Um, He lost his plantations and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but where didn't he have plantations? And then he's like, vampires, Jeanette. Come on, keep up. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't know. So he leaves. Oh, well, he but- he gets up, and then she's like, oh, "You're so overworked these days." Yeah, if you need to relax, you just, you just let I'll, me know. One day I'll close the shop early. You come, you come over, over, and I'll help you relax. Oh, for Nicolas, so many burdens. I'll tell you what, one night. I will close the bar early, and you will be my only guest, and I will help you to relax. Hmm? 
Jeanette. Yeah. Don't cheat. <laughs> Tuesday? Tuesday good? And he's like... R- regular Tuesday appointment? Yep. Done. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely done. This is... <laughs> I love this scene. I love that because uh, it, it's an interesting insight into what actually makes some of these relationships work. Because as we do that. We have on the calendar time to spend together. Yep. Because otherwise you get too busy and you don't. So you plan it like anything else. You right. make it's it... important enough to put it on the calendar. Yeah. And it's important enough for Nick and Jeanette and, to put it on the calendar. And we've had people react to us when we talk about it like that. And they're like, you you like schedule it? It's like, yeah. Yes. Because yes. it's so important to us. Right. I wanna, we want to make sure it happens. You know, you get busy. You forget to do, you forget to spend time together. We're busy with the kids. I'm busy with the podcast. You're busy with work. You just get busy. Which I think it was even worse before the podcast because part of the reason we do the podcast is dedicated time we spend together. Together. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But Nick leaves. He's like, well, that was kind of a bust. And so he's in the car. He turns on the radio and LaCroix's like, I have information for you, Nick. Please come to the radio station immediately. And Nick's (laughs) like, on the way. (laughs) But delivered such a voce. Of course. In riddle. He's like, all I ask for is your soul. He's like, now come to me. No. And Nick's like, okay. And they just goes to go to CERK. Um, which, by the way, our merch store is up. So if you are in need of a CERK tote bag or T-shirt that says Home of the Nightcrawler, I'll hook you up now. Um, but LaCroix is waiting for him. And he's like, oh, funny, you came here like I didn't ask you over the airwaves to come here. And then uh, Nick is like, you turned somebody in Vietnam, didn't you? And he's like, uh, let me check. And he pulls out his little Rolodex. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like I turned at least one in Vietnam. I don't know. He turns so many people. How can he keep it straight? He even says that. He's like, things just slip my mind these days. I don't know. But he says that he was moved by Nick's by Nick's uh, morality. He, he was shamed. He was shamed. For and like he got a, over it quick like, enough. But... I got over it quick enough, but not until I had devised a clever plan <laughs> to the... A clever solution to your conundrum. <laughs> this feels like another one of those gifts. That he has given to to Nick so that someday he'll be able to pull it out of his box and be like, you think I never gave you anything? Well, do you remember that one time we were in Vietnam and that whole village got slaughtered and you and, were all mad about it? Well, But you wouldn't do anything about it? I did something about hey, it. I did. I gave them the power to I fight I avenged back. that entire village, just so you know. You're fucking welcome. Yeah. He's like, I went back and I heard one heartbeat. And it was, it was powerful weak. and strong and w- full of vengeance. <laughs> he said it was weak, but filled with emotion. Yeah. So he turned the guy from Earth Final Conflict. Tran. That saw, Tran, that we saw earlier. And he was like, now go off and avenge your family. And later I shall tell Nicholas about what a good job I have done. <laughs> so it turns out this is the guy who has been killing all of the cleanup crew. And Nick is like... I didn't ask you to do that. What the actual fuck, LaCroix? And LaCroix's like, you didn't want me to avenge the victims? What about the victims, Nicholas? What about my plantations? <laughs> do you know? We all lost something in the war, okay? We all lost something. Lieutenant Drake and his murdering minions should not have been punished for what they did. What, Nicholas? No justice for the wronged? No vengeance? 
What about the victims of his ill-conceived crusade? What about my plantations? Drake was caught. Nick is like, you are so, I can't even deal with you right now. And so he ends up leaving and he gets a call from Skanky as he's leaving. And he's like, listen, sorry, we lost Casey Brooks. Like he, he talked he to the crown. Oh yeah. They, they let him out. Yeah. He said he was afraid for his life. And so they let him go. And oh, but before he leaves, this is my, so LaCroix is, I love LaCroix because he is usually the one to state the theme of the episode. And absolutely the theme of this episode is if I can get people to forgive Casey for what he did, I can be forgiven for what I did. And LaCroix calls him out on it. He's like, oh, oh, I see how this is going. You Why, think you're getting on Casey's side now. Yeah. You think if you can get Casey, if you can have people see Casey as forgiven, then they'll see you as forgiven too. And Nick's like, this is not about me. And LaCroix goes, it is always about you. Or can it be that if Drake can be forgiven for his sins, then it follows that you can be forgiven for yours? How perfectly convenient your logic is. How perfectly self-serving. It isn't about me. It's always about you. About you and your eternal struggle to manage your guilt. And he's right. <laughs> he's so right. <laughs> Everything is personal yeah. to Nicola. To Nicola. But after he gets the phone call from Skanky, he's like, all right, I'm going to go get Casey. And Skanky's like, what, what do you mean? And Nick's Wait, like, where I, is know, he? I know where he's going. It's fine. And he just hangs up on Skanky. And Skanky's <laughs> like, Nick? Nick? But he, he finds him at the airport because we had a brief moment earlier where he's like, fake pilot license, fake driver's license, fake yeah. whatever. So we know he has a pilot's license. And Nick is like, well, how else would somebody trying to flee the city get out? They're going to take a plane. I fly out of the city all the time. I just don't take a plane. Right. What would I do in this situation? <laughs> oh, would, yes. I would fly away. Right. And I think it's funny that Casey Brooks is still wearing this ripped shirt. He's still wearing the shirt that's ripped that yes. has a symbol underneath of it. Well, and he's he immediately got taken to the police station, and then after he got out of the police station, he immediately came here. Right. So he hasn't had time to... But he has his duffel bag. No, I think put, he, his he duffel bag his, got left behind. He puts his duffel bag in the backseat of the plane. Oh, that's right. He has a change of clothes. Why yeah. is he not... He just doesn't... He just, I don't know. Well, Whatever. I don't know. Uh, but Nick shows up, and Nick is like, you can't leave. And Casey's like, yeah, huh. And Nick goes, nah, uh. And he goes, yeah, huh. And he goes, nah. And then Nick is finally like, fine, here you go. And he hands him a like a wrapped parcel, which it turns out is a cross. And Casey is like, what, what, what is this? What, what, what is this? He's like, go get religion. No, he doesn't say that. Um, this is when the vampire guy shows up and he is so fabulous. I've lost <laughs> it. His, what is he using for shampoo? It reminds me of those, those commercials that are like, women with 15 hair products and they're yeah. like trying to get their hair untangled and it's like men who used dial soap for their entire body <laughs> yeah. and it's like a, just this luxurious silken locks. yes with the narrow 90s sunglasses like the tiny little just the size of your eyes sunglasses and then he's wearing like a, a flowing a robe, robe thing. thing that has one button and it buttons underneath of his neck 
<laughs> and he's just like, I don't think so, Lieutenant. <laughs> Nick is like, and just oh, struts into the hangar. Damn, his coat is fabulous. <laughs> just, now we must fight. So then we get some vampire and vampire action because Nick is like, you can't get to him if I choke you first, even though we don't breathe. And so then they fight each other for a while. And it gets ended because Casey shoots and into so, the air. Okay, so one of the things that occurred to me here is trans fangs are a lot longer than Nick's. A lot of times, the secondary vampire characters is. I think it's because Nick's, he has to speak in them so often. Right. Yeah. Right, but I was wondering if it's like, like, men just are endowed with a certain size. You've already made this joke. Based on your biology. You've already made this joke. Oh, I have? Yes. You made this joke on the Enforcer episode. Oh, because they had such huge fangs. Because the one guy had, like, tusks. And I made a joke about how some some vampires just have girth. (laughs) They're just (laughs) well endowed. Well endowed. I feel like this is a thing where you don't want to be the one with extra long fangs. Right, because it's so... um, You want to be able to close your mouth. It's so visible. Have have a chat. Yeah, I think it's because the main characters, so Jeanette, LaCroix, and Nick, will have um, dialogue while having their fangs in. Right. But usually the secondary vampire characters don't. There's just like a... Maybe they get worn down over time. Mm. That would be really unfortunate. Because what if you're like 3,000 years old and they're just nubs? And you're like, I'm so sorry. You don't actually need the pointy fang to break the skin, though. So maybe they just don't oh, worry about it. There was that, sh- that book we read called Ship of a Thousand Years or Boat of a Thousand Years. Yeah. Boat of a million years. Boat of a million years. Boat of a million years. Yeah. By Paul Anderson. Yeah, the boat of a million years. And in that one, their teeth fall out and then they get Oh, new yeah, teeth. they regrow new teeth. Yeah, they regrow new teeth. So the premise is that there's people who are just immortal. You're just born that way for some reason. Yeah. And they all kind of find each other throughout the course of the book. And it's good for about the first three quarters of the book. And then the last quarter of the book is just fucking wild. Yeah. Fucking wild. Um, Casey shoots in the air to get them to stop. Fang size aside, Casey's done with these vampires hissing at each other. Because he realizes at the same time, he's like, you were at the, you were at the village. And you don't look like you've aged a day. And, and hold on. You look pretty familiar, you're too. You're Red Cross guy. That's really weird. And then they're like, yeah, no, cool. <laughs> like fighting each other and then he shoots in the air and he gets him to stop and he's like listen it's been 23 years and i have a question for you for 23 years i've wanted to know yeah are you Viet Cong? and the guy's like why don't you ask my whole family why don't you ask my sister my mother my grandparents they loved you they loved my Americans. sister yeah yeah and he's like no 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 i'm asking you and the guy's like yeah i was I was. Does that make it better? And Casey's like, nope. And then... says, for what it's worth, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. And then he shoots himself. It's been a while since we've resorted to this. And so we had to get a couple in all at once. Because he kills himself. And then our mystery vampire, Tran, um, thanks Nick for trying to help his village. He's like, listen. We all remembered... What you tried to do for us. You were a good dude. I didn't do this to hurt anybody except the people that hurt my family. And now that I'm done doing that, I'm done. So I've got one task left to do. And so and Nick. how much of a better person at their core is Tran 
if Tran was a good guy and then he got turned into a vampire. And I guess we don't know if he had like a slaughter phase. But <laughs> slaughter phase. Yeah. He's it's only been twenty three years. Yeah. And then he's like, All right. My village is avenged. That Duty done. Every every killer from Bin Lock has been killed. Yeah. Um I'm done. I'm done so. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Whereas Nick Well, this is a question that often comes up in these ethical vampire stories where you have a character that is atoning for past sins while being a vampire, while very likely to fall back into old habits and harm people again. Mm -hmm. Is not the absolute best way to prevent yourself from harming anyone else is to remove yourself from the situation. Right. You are immortal. Time will not remove you from the situation. So the one thing about being a vampire is you have to die violently. You have to die intentionally. So why don't you just do what Tran does, open the air hanger door, and let yourself burn? Well, Nick's reasoning for this, we're going to tackle in like two episodes. So we're not far off from it. Okay. Where he's like, why don't I? What's stopping me? Um, We're going to get there. We're not there. We're going to get there. So we'll- Okay, so I, I was about to go off on a whole thing but i'll save it if that topic is coming up oh it's coming up i'll save it and it's god there's some gold and we're i don't want to i don't want to spoil i I was just thinking that tran probably had some self-awareness about the fact that he has all of this power yeah he has this hunger he's been able to confine his behavior to just pursuing this goal of vengeance yeah justice and like because he's not even feeding off these guys no he's only killing he's only making sure that they die yeah and then at the end he's like okay this has been my purpose for existence yeah i know that with my abilities and my hunger and no purpose i will just i i'm prone to becoming a monster and just right. killing to continue my existence right so i i'm just gonna clean just gonna up with this, that. clean up yeah. the whole business yeah. and say goodbye to my friend nick and end it here Right, so he gives Nick enough time to drop down into this sewer hole, which is probably about 18 inches around. <laughs> it's like, it's just a drainage. It's just drainage. Right. So, but that's fine. And then he opens the whole aircraft hangar door and yeah. burns. So we get two, two suicides back to back. Thank you, 90s. And then we go back to the precinct, and it's our wrap-up. And Nick is in, like, a dark shirt with a light khaki vest. Mm. It's an interesting combination. Um, but he's kind of pensive, thoughtful, because Skanky's already writing up the report. He's like, Cohen wanted it written up. She wanted it done. Um, you know, it's all buttoned up. Everybody's off the Casey train. Nobody wants to be associated with them anymore. So we just want to put this one to bed. And they think that he burned evidence and then shot himself. And they're yep. going to convict him of killing Lindley. And, yeah, it's kind of sad because... Cohen comes out and Cohen's like, you know, everybody's got something in their past that comes out eventually. 
Um, and I wish I could say I felt sorry that he died, but who can be sorry about a killer dying? Which hits Nick pretty hard. And Nick's like, oof. So, case closed. Drake had everybody fooled, including me. I guess most everyone has something in their past that catches up with them sooner or later. I wish I could say it's a shame, but when a killer dies, how much sympathy can you have? <laughs> Ouch. Oh. God. Oh, wow. S Takes me right in the heart. I know. And then they have this throwaway line that he's like, well, what did he burn? And Skanky goes, I don't know. Natalie took a th look at the ashes. She said it could have been papers or something. And he's like, well, Natalie would know. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie covering up the vampire yeah. remains. Yeah. But this was. I and mean, then and then he Nick tells Skanky, um, you know, in in the report. Yeah. Uh, I call him. Don't call him uh, Drake. No, don't. Because call I think him by Casey the end Brooks. he was Casey yeah. Brooks. Which is Nick being like, it's not about me. It is always about him. <laughs> it's sad. It's hard. It, this was kind of a bittersweet episode. As much as the last episode was, I mean, it was still amusing. But it's more of like a, can you be forgiven? Is there any point to trying to, to, trying to make amends? Or is there literally some things you can never come back from? Because arguably Nick has killed far more people. Than Casey oh. Brooks ever did. Oh yeah, um, I, he's killed far more people than Casey Brooks did, just in his time working as a cop in Toronto. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, not with his teeth. Not with his teeth. Right, but just with in inadvertent. He's been responsible for a lot more deaths than Whoopsies. Casey ever was. The guy that fell on the pitchfork. The guy that fell on the electrical transformer. Yeah, the guy who steam, he shot steam in his face. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question to ask. What is more moral? That is a good question. What is more moral? To always be good or to overcome great evil? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's a thing to debate. I think that's something like chicken and the egg. Right. And it, uh, that's why it was in Skyrim. Yeah. Because this dragon in Skyrim used to be you know he was with the dragons they yeah. killed lots of people and then he was like ah i kind of don't want it anymore so he like spent hundreds of years just meditating yeah and came to this conclusion oh okay yeah yeah um i did some bad things and i regret them yeah and i'm going to try to atone and so he tries to help you know the hero the character that you play in the game yeah and he's like, I'll help you, like, defeat the big bad guy. And and so you, in the game, you have a choice. It's like, what you did, I, even though you have worked to atone for your crimes and better your own nature to become a good, you know, person, uh, you still have to be punished for your crimes. Yeah. Or you can say, you're doing great. I really respect all the work that you've done. And you are you know, actively contributing to reducing the problem that you, you used to be a part of right now. Or yeah. you, you were a long time ago. You're actively contributing right now. And I, I'm going to keep working with you. I respect on that. This. Yeah. And so you get the choice in the game. Right. About what decision you want to make. Right. So... It's supposed to be open-ended for each person to think about. Yeah. Yeah. You can even leave. He's like, you don't have to answer me right now. So you can leave and go do other stuff and then come back at any time hmm. and tell the guy. 
Interesting. Yeah. Well, we have a merch store now. Finally. Um, I've already gotten like four orders, so Woo-hoo. there's some merch stickers, some hunk in the trunk, and home of the nightcrawler stickers. Uh circling the I don't know, I couldn't think of circling the, the uh, hand wavy the something. Hand wavy uh the the uh fan base, I guess. So there there are fans out there who are declaring Thank you, their fans. love. Thank you, fans. Um it was a lot of fun. I have some more planned. I have a couple more t shirts planned. Um I just need to either make them or commission them or however I'm gonna get that done. Um so, you know, it's in progress as usual. We are a work in progress. We, as I always say, did not emerge fully formed from the forehead of Zeus like Athena. A human being is always a work in process. Yeah, we're a human being and our podcast network. Um and that's pretty much it. We're on Instagram as usual. I don't say it as often. I'm thinking about for the month of August re-uploading all of my old fan fiction to the Patreon website. Oh. Because I have quite a few fan fiction stories kicking around the internet on these websites that are like 20 to 25 years old now. And it makes me think things like Oh, crap. I don't have that file anymore. I don't have the computer anymore. That computer wasn't even connected to the internet. Like, I can't go get it. Um, I need to save these somewhere for posterity. So if anyone is wildly interested in finding out what 18, 16, 17, and 18-year-old Rachel wrote about Forever Night um, and some crossovers (laughs) with various different properties um i'm gonna be uploading those and i haven't decided yet if i'm gonna make them public or if you have to pay like a dollar for access to them or not um they're out there for free right now if you can find them which good luck (laughs) um i was able to find them uh, well that you found my geocity site i found some of your other stuff too did you think so yeah okay well i have stuff in lots of different places and this i was thinking about this when ao3 went down Yeah, AO3. And I thought, King, I didn't even put anything. I predate archive archive of our own. So my stuff's not on there. And I thought, dang, I really maybe need to gather, gather all my stuff. So I think I'll be working on that. Um, So if you're interested in that, do find us on the Patreon. There's always a link in the show notes. There's a link to everything in the show notes. Um, We do still have our submission form. I don't talk about it as much anymore, but if you want to... If you want to tell us something to watch, a movie or whatever, feel free to send that to us. We can put it up on any relevant podcast. It doesn't have to be for this podcast. It can be for any one of ours on the network. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Nope. I think we're good. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. I just remembered we don't do this sign-off on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> too many podcasts not possible all right until next time friends bye bye